Hey everybody and welcome to yet another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. Today is June 10th and I'm Mark Geis. And this is Josh Eppinger. And we've got plenty to talk about. It's been a few weeks since we talked last. Uh, but Josh, how's everything been going for you in the last few weeks? Uh, pretty good. Staying busy. Uh, getting excited about this offseason for the Sabres. Um, after we ta- we last spoke when uh, when Jason Botterill was... Uh, uh, named and and he's uh been doing work here and it has been nice uh you know I didn't go to the combine but there's a lot of people uh you know all the teams were at the combine in Buffalo so there's uh, a lot of reporting and people talking about who they're seeing there and stuff so been paying attention to that and uh kind of just getting excited for this new hockey season to start even though we're still in the you know in Game Six of the Stanley Cup Finals tomorrow in Nashville. Yeah, well, there's this delayed kind of you're expecting something to happen. Somebody new comes in, a new GM, and you're expecting things to just start happening right off the bat. And kind of because how early he was hired in the offseason, there's a lag time there between Botterill coming in and being able to make the final decision at coach and to be able to start making player moves because, like you said, it still is it still is the prior NHL season. We haven't reached the end of the Stanley Cup Finals yet, so – I'm anxiously awaiting some of these dominoes to start to fall. We've gotten a little bit of that in the head coaching search, which I know I think that's probably what we'll talk about right off the bat today. But Bob Bugner today, they said that he's likely going to be introduced as Florida's head coach on Monday, and that was somebody that the Sabres had interviewed, and uh, Florida had been considered heavily in on Phil Housley potentially, but they made their decision with Bugner, so it looks really not like it's – it's Housley versus Tockett for the Sabres head coaching job. Josh, what do you think of uh, of those two final choices? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying that um, I was fully I, – I, I believed that uh, Housley was going to go to Florida and that was their number one choice, but obviously it wasn't. And congratulations, uh, Mr. Budner there. But uh, it's, it's very exciting for the Sabres – to uh, have a you know their pick of the litter basically between Housley and Tockett, um, as we know Tockett had a, a brief stint with uh, for about a year and a half with the Tampa Bay Lightning until the team was sold and he was fired, but uh, he was picking up Barry Melrose's mess and he's you know Tockett's been has worked with you know star players obviously Malkin Kessel and Crosby the, the last few couple years with. Uh, Pittsburgh the last few actually and uh, also worked with Stamkos and um, all those Knobloch and all those guys down at uh, Tampa Bay so I'm uh, I I wasn't real really into um, Tockett right away I I said ah oh, man I don't know much about this guy he is the gambling ring thing with Gretzky's wife uh, don't didn't know much about him the more I found out about him I the more I grown to like him, and to think that he was coming out of the Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, organization, that I was assuming, well, Housley's going to Florida, Tockett's coming in, uh, Byron wants his first coach to be good, and he doesn't want to be taking too much chances after what happened with Bylsma and Murray, um, and this is his first stint as a GM by himself too, in the NHL level, but. Now that the the news broke, as you said, that Bob, when Bob McKenzie uh, tweeted about uh, 
Bugner going in uh, the the old boogeyman. They uh, he was going to uh, Florida, and there will be a deal finalized soon. So I'm uh, really liking Housley just to seeing how that Nashville team has played all season long and in the tournament with that tough uh, tough uh, defensive play that also. Uh, produces offensively more than any team in the league in the tournament has this year so I'm you look how the game's played this year now and the D is jumping up and becoming part of the rush it's it's incredibly important to have a good strong defensive team you look at all the teams in the playoffs pretty much all of them were the best defensive teams in the league but you you know you still got the Penguins hanging in there without some of their key guys but uh and made it through the playoffs, missing one or two of them for a game at least. But uh, I'm I'm really excited. I I'll take I'll take Housley if I had to pick. But uh, I would take Tockett too. I wasn't like I said I wasn't sold on him. But the more I learned about him and being a real you know stern players coach, but could relate with the guys and his performance in the league as a tough guy as a player. I. I like both guys, and I think that we are in a very good situation. I'm glad that they didn't the Sabres didn't just go out and get a go grab a coach because they needed one. They waited, and it's going to pay off for them, I believe. Well, yeah, I think Bugner must have really impressed Florida in that in that inter- interview where they thought we need this guy. We don't need to you know, we don't need to wait till the end of the Stanley Cup Finals to really see what else is out there. This is our guy. So I think he must have just blown them away for whatever reason, in the interview. But I think you're spot on. So we had tried to talk about when Tockett's name first came out there. I had tried to do some research prior to our last episode and see what people had said about him in Tampa. And there's some information out there, some old news articles. We talked about Steve Downey had a, had a great year under him, one of our old favorite players, Steve Downey. Um, oh, yeah. But more of that's come out since saying that, the young guys really did like Tockett in Tampa, and he was more a victim of circumstance where new ownership came in, wanted their guys in place, brought in a new coach, and uh, and went from there. So I would say I'm not, I'm not completely against Tockett as head coach. I think we've had more positive information come out about him, but Housley is still my guy, and that was who I had said it was probably my favorite from the beginning so that it looks like things are starting to fall that way we'll see because the the Tockett and Botterill connection is stronger but I think Botterill probably doesn't want to fall into that trap of just hiring his guys and I I feel like sometimes you almost want to overcorrect it's kind of human nature like you don't want to appear biased sometimes you see that with uh you know a little league baseball team and the, the coach is hardest on his on his son and he may treat other people yeah. more easily than his son because he doesn't want to show any outward favoritism. And as a result, you end up being tougher on the guy that you know most or on, on your kid. Um, so I wonder if, if some of that will come into play as well. But I think it's a good position, like you said. I like that they didn't rush into a, into a decision. It's really a game of musical chairs where there are a lot of good people standing up and that the Sabres have the last chair you know, you now have you now have a choice of some pretty good candidates for that final chair. Oh yeah, and the, you know, the, there's still talk that uh, Jacques Martin could uh, be in the mix too, another assistant from Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't see him getting chosen over Tockett personally, 
but uh, you know they did uh, they did interview Bugner too, and they did uh, interview uh, Todd Reardon too from the Washington, which I thought would be another uh, pretty solid choice as well. But it, we're sitting here, and it's like we get the pick of the litter. I feel like it's I, it, it's exciting. I, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I think uh, I think that we uh, are falling into a very great place. Craig Berube, too, they, they'd interviewed, and it looks like he's now going to be an assistant in St. Louis under Mike Yo. So that's one name, that huh. another name that the Sabres interviewed that's, that appears to be out of the equation. And yeah, Jacques Martin, like you said, also has been connected. I, I wonder if that would have been more of a choice if – because we talked about Bilesma coming in, that maybe he wasn't the guy to really – take the Sabres all the way but you hoped that he would take the team in the right direction and then maybe you'd bring in another coach people always talked about it was like Terry Murray going to Daryl Sutter with the yeah. with the Kings that maybe mm-hmm. that other coach would be there and I wonder if Jacques Martin would have been more of that guy if Bilesma had done more to move the needle but that didn't happen and I think you you're probably looking at a younger coach and a new coach. I mean, I know that Tockett has previous coaching experience, but it's not like Jacques Martin, who's coached in the league for, what, 10, 15 years or whatever he has. Uh, so it's it's a good position to be in. I think Botterill's handled it pretty well. Didn't need to panic. And you, you could have seen panic from a new GM, but I think he's taken time to evaluate, waiting to see how all this expansion draft stuff falls into place, wait for the for the Stanley Cup finals to end. And then I think we will see a flurry of activity pretty quickly after the series ends, whether it's tomorrow or whether you have to wait another couple of days. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's going to be fun. I, I'm really, you know, it's probably my one of the things I'm looking most forward to in June is just hockey. You don't hear that very often. I mean, just with the, with the expansion draft, with us, our coaching, uh, of not having a coach and we're going to be hiring one soon. It's uh it's all about to fall in place. There's a lot of stuff going around the Buffalo Sabres right now and it's a lot to be excited about. Um let me mind if I ask you Mark uh now we we brought in uh you've been you've been in on Housley from the beginning. Uh besides uh anything besides the what he's done with Nashville and the, that strong defense core that uh makes you appeals you to Housley overtalk it? Um, I think really his exposure at uh, at multiple levels of hockey. So it's not like he's just attached himself to a quality organization and that that's what's brought him, you know, to, to prominence, which you do see that a lot of times, you know, an assistant with a team that just has fantastic players ends up, you know, ends up being in the running for some of these head coaching jobs. Um, but I think he's got a good track record in terms of international experience. Obviously a fantastic player, even though I know being a being a player isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily translate to coaching. We saw that with, with Wayne Gretzky being an NHL coach. A lot of times mm-hmm. the best players aren't the best coaches. Uh, but he coached at the World Juniors, which I think was probably a great experience. Shows that he can get his message, message through to young guys, especially considering – that the U.S. is typically at a disadvantage on the international stage in hockey just because of, you know, how important it is to these other countries. And like it or not, hockey is a is probably a fourth or fifth class citizen in the United States compared to most other sports. So 
I think the combination of having NHL experience and international experience is what, and really having paid his dues. And it, he's still a youngish guy, but he's been around for a while, has a good amount of coaching experience. Now I feel like it's kind of the right in the middle type of pick. You know, we're not going out and hiring a, a 60 something year old coach, but we're also not hiring the 35 year old young gun. I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. So I think that's yeah. where I am with him. I agree. And, you know, like you said, he's not he's not overly old. <laughs> that like sounded terrible, but still. Um it's he, he can get he can put the skates on there and go play with the guys and you know, being a being a player that has coached, the cool the good thing about it is you get that respect from your players too. You uh he he had a a successful NHL career, I I will call it, compared to some other coaches that have came in and played. Uh, that played before and then came to coach and uh he's gonna get that respect from the guys i think right from day one i i assume so and this is a locker room that needs to have that respect and i'm and i think i want to i think house housley will demand it and i you know i think talk would too and i that's why it has to come down to those two guys yeah yeah i think there's there's not a, a wrong decision here necessarily and i do strongly prefer housley but I, i'm not going to be it was much like, I would say Fenton and Botterill to me were much closer. I, I prefer Housley by more over Tockett than I preferred Fenton over Botterill. I pretty much didn't have a strong preference either way with, with Botterill and Fenton because I know Fenton had been my favorite okay. for the Sabres GM job. But I'm not going to be coming on here and, and blasting Botterill for an entire episode if they decide to go out and hire Tockett. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, actually reading uh... – some of uh, Ellie Freeman's, Freeman's uh, 30 Thoughts earlier today uh, while I was at work, and they uh, don't let my boss know that. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I was reading it, and he's talking about how, you know, Fenton has had, you know, interviews and opportunities, but he likes it where he's at. Basically, he made it, that's how he made it sound, but you never know. It, it, was, it was interesting what he had to say. I don't have it in front of me to just bring it up, but it was pretty cool if you have a – if you have a few extra minutes, go, go check that out. Um, we also don't know how these guys interview, too, because, I mean, yeah. the interview, we can generalize this more beyond just talking about interviewing for, for jobs in the NHL or in the sports world, but interviews are notoriously poor at predicting actual performance, but a lot of people hold them in great importance. So somebody can interview very well and end up not being good at the job, or somebody can interview poorly, maybe they're off their game that particular day. It's very difficult to use that to actually predict job performance. And it's hard for us as as people because we like to think we can read other people really well and that we can tell when somebody comes in and talks to us how they're going to be on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, maybe Fenton has just had bad luck with interviews too. Maybe, maybe that could be part of it. Um, yeah, well – you know, they said that uh, Cam. Someone said that Cam Fowler, um, he had a poor interview at the combine when he was drafted, and uh, he ended up going 11th or 12th overall to Anaheim, which he was uh, expected to go higher. But he said, "I was an awkward 19-year-old kid, and I did not interview well." And that's the reason why he fell. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot of people place a lot of stock in it, and I think. If you don't know about the research on interviews, I think that's the natural human response. You think, I'm good at reading people. 
When this person walks in the door, I can tell whether there's somebody I want around me every day or somebody I don't want around me every day. You think you can tell that, but oftentimes we're not able to do that. We're not able to, to predict whatsoever based on an interview how somebody's actually going to be. So it's kind of an interesting throwaway type of thing, but maybe that's, that's what's happened to Fenton oh. as well. Maybe he hasn't wowed a team enough to be willing to, to really pay him what he needs to, to want to leave Nashville. Sorry, everyone. We had some technical difficulties there with Skype, so we're now doing it our old-fashioned way, our old non-internet way, doing it via the phone. Um, we're going to transition into talking about Evander Kane here. So one of the dominoes it looks like is going to fall. We can't say with certainty that Evander Kane is going to be traded, but his name has certainly been out there in rumors, and he's been probably rumored most strongly to be moved to the Los Angeles Kings. Josh, what are your opinions on on Kane being traded and, and what you've heard? Well, um, I, for one, was uh, not too surprised that they hear Kane's name on the market with uh, a new GM coming in. Jason Botterill, excuse me, is, uh, you know, he's very into having role players on their team. And I think, you know, Evander Kane doesn't really – uh, his definition is definitely not a role player, you know. He wants something, someone that's going to hang out with the guys, you know, spend time off the rink with his teammates. And I don't think Kane is necessarily that kind of guy. He's more of a flashy kind of lone wolf guy that hangs out with his own people. So I wasn't surprised to hear that he was gonna he was on the block, and that's basically where the Sabres have put him, in my opinion. Uh, it... it the Brit and every trade rumor that you see, it has him linked bringing into uh, bring a top four defenseman into the Sabres. Now, um, that being said, you know Kane is uh, on his last year of his deal. Not too many teams are going to take him if they can't have him sign. Know that he's going to be there in the future. They, they're not just going to take him for one year and trade away a fourth a, a top four defenseman. So it should be really interesting how the Sabres go around about this, if they're going to add picks or prospects or what they're going to do. But it definitely seems evident to me that Kane will not be here. Yeah, and the difficulty is trying to look at if there is a deal out there with Kane for a top-four defenseman. You mentioned a couple of the, the roadblocks to making a deal there. One, that Kane's in the last year of his contract, so you – would think it would have to be to a team that's looking to win a cup next year, a team that's in contention next year. So that takes more than half the league out of the picture right there. And then you need to have a team that has a top four defenseman to spare, which not many teams have a top four defenseman to spare because defensemen are so are so valued or so scarce. And you look at the teams that have made it deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs, they've been teams with strong and deep defense, uh, defenses. So – you have both of those things, and then you need to have a team that's willing to move that top four defenseman for Evander Kane with one year left on his deal. So to get all those things to work together, it's difficult to see what deal will end up going down. And a lot of the teams that have a top four defenseman to move, I feel like would be looking more for younger assets, for cheaper cost-controlled assets, rather than somebody like Kane where they may be looking at trying to pay him $6 million a year after his contract is up this year. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Does any one team seem to make a lot of sense to you? Uh, and also, what's your opinion on these Kane to L.A. rumors? Um, I could see it happening to L.A., but there's going to have to have something else that has to happen. And uh, we spoke about this briefly, but uh, with the expansion draft coming up, there's been some rumors, and I'm not not sure on where my sources are on it, but anyone that pays attention to the NHL offseason has heard it too, with uh, the Kings trying to move Dustin Brown to the, the Las Vegas Knights, uh, trying to you know establish that relationship right off the get-go. Uh, two teams pretty close to each other. Um, and that's one of the worst contracts in hockey. Um, bringing in Dustin Brown would uh, eliminate tons of cap space for the Kings and is pretty much their number one problem. So the Kings would uh, send Brown in the 11th overall pick to Vegas to take on that salary. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, we could really get excited about a uh, LA move with Evander Kane because I think that's what's going to have have to happen if if uh, Kane's going to make his trip out to LA. Um, also, there's some uh, there's some other uh, places that make sense to me. A lot of people want to jump out and uh, go bring up Sammy Vatanen's name from Anaheim to bring it uh, the, and send trade Kane there. I don't see it happening. Uh, Anaheim is actually. Elliot Freeman in three thoughts today. He actually spoke about how Anaheim is no, nowhere near where other people think they are with Kane. Uh, that's I think that's a name that's been tried to the Sabers have tried to move there before as well. It just doesn't work for uh, Anaheim. So I I'm taking uh, Kane out of Anaheim completely. Don't see it happening. Um. Minnesota is a team that would make sense to me personally. Uh, you got to—they have a lot of defensemen that cannot protect them all. Uh, bringing in a guy like Brodeen makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, pretty decent cap hit. It's uh, four four million a year. Um, actually, it is four 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 million one hundred sixty-six thousand a year. But. Uh, that's a guy that I would like to see come in if they can make the move. There's he's going to get moved somewhere. It, it could you know possibly Vancouver could be in on it too. That makes a lot of sense. He his hometown. They've been trying to work a deal out with Vancouver supposedly before. Um, they have some de- defense that we could bring over here. Uh, you have any opinion on Vancouver and Kane? I don't see it just because I think Vancouver is a long ways away from contending. I could see them tr- trying to make a run at him as a free agent next year, possibly, you know, with another year of, of their young guys. They have a lot of young defensemen. Brock Besser, see what he does this year. Maybe they think Kane can be a nice piece to add to that young core, but I can't see them trading what the Sabres would be looking for, which the Sabres aren't, probably aren't trying to trade Kane for futures because they're trying to improve next year. So yeah. I'd be surprised if they're just looking to, to move Kane for picks or for prospects. So I guess you never know. I think the only way that would happen is if you're trading Kane to a team that, that wants him and you're getting picks and prospects that you then parlay into a trade for a defenseman, which maybe could be possible. And I think that's more plausible, actually, than a deal 
Kane straight up for a defenseman. So for for some of those other uh, some of those other scenarios you talked about with Minnesota, they already have a lot of tough decisions to make with the expansion draft. You know they're they're going to have to make tough decisions exposing guys up front. And right now, would they would they even protect Evander Kane in the expansion draft? It's tough because I think right now they're probably looking at at, at protecting four defensemen regardless because they've got Suter, Spurgeon, Brodeen, Scandell, and Dumba. So even if they trade one of them, if they trade Brodeen, I think they're still looking to protect four defensemen. And then they protect hmm. four forwards up front, and they've got Parise, Koivu, Pominville, Stahl, Coyle, Zucker, Stewart, or Chris Stewart they wouldn't protect, of course. Um, and let's see who else? Um, Granlund. Howla, Niederreiter, they have all those guys, and these, you add Kane to the mix. Would Kane be one of the top four forwards that they would protect? And I don't know if yeah. they would. So that could be a post-expansion draft trade possibly, but even then I feel like the plus to get from Kane to Brodeen would be significant, and they probably would have already lost one of those five defensemen in the expansion draft because I think that's who they're going to lose unless they trade one of those one of those four away. But I think if you're making a trade yeah. for Brodine, it's much more likely that you're dangling exempt uh, assets. So that, you know, maybe Nylander's on the table or the eighth pick is on the table or some combination of other of other exempt assets. That yeah, seems to I, make more sense to me. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt uh, the eighth overall pick not being on board with a uh, – not you know, being on – I wouldn't doubt it that you could see that being moved of Kane to bring someone in right now to play. Um, it's, uh, you know, just to go back to Minnesota, they are a really interesting team, actually. If it was me, I think I would protect three defensively because they have a lot of talent up front, but you also have Granlin's on contract this year, needs a new contract, and so does Niederreiter. Those are two very interesting players to me. Uh, I, you know... I would I would take Neo Niederreiter in a heartbeat. I think that's a that's a a big strong uh, offensive player that could, that anyone in the team would love. Uh, I just you know kind of envious in Minnesota. Don't need to be tri- uh, changing the thought process of Minnesota here. But a uh, lot of lot of interesting things going on over there with them and poor. Uh, One way I think get- you do have to think about it though is. You know, you're only losing one player. So you have to look at it, is every forward that I'm leaving unprotected, do I value them less than I value that one defenseman that I'm leaving unprotected? And I feel like Minnesota would value those four defensemen more highly than any of those forwards that they would leave unprotected if they were protecting eight total players. And they may even, they may even protect all five defensemen. <laughs> they conceivably be, could, and then, and then protect only three forwards. They and who do they have to protect? They have, they have uh, to protect Parisi. I think they may have to protect Koivu too. So then that then that do means they have that to you're protect Pominville. Um, that I'm not sure of. I want to say, they, I I could be wrong though. That would be Where a wrinkle we, if they do it. If they do have to protect Pominville. <laughs> um, let's see. I want to say this. I don't. I don't want to. I'll go to the tool. 
I should just have it open for each one of our podcasts. So something always ends up going to that. So yes, they do have to protect Pominville. Okay, they so do. so I think protecting five defensemen is out of the equation. Um, but I can easily see four and four. Yeah, poor because poor, poor Minnesota having to protect Pominville. I love that guy, but you know after everything we've been through to the scary goal, go, scary goal. And everything. It was uh, he. He, you know, one of my favorite players of that era. But uh, they have to protect him when you have all that talent on your offensive roster. It's it's just like it's enough to make you sick if you're a Minnesota fan. Yeah, yeah. And they're still. I still don't know if they have what it takes to win a championship. I don't know if they're good enough down the middle. I mean, even though I like Coyle, and I like Grandland, but. Are they good enough down the middle to, to win a championship? I don't know. Well, they had they'll, they'll be losing somebody good. And I think the important point is, I think right now, if you add a Vander Kane to that mix, I don't think that they would protect him. Unless they are going the seven and three, he, he maybe would be in that. He probably would be in that top seven. But yeah. Um, um, what? So if if you don't think uh, a move, if 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 Kane is evidently. Not going to be on this roster next year when the season starts. Uh, what, what kind of move do, would you expect to see uh, Botterill make for Kane? Well, I've not done research on what teams fit this criteria, so maybe this can be a good research project before our next episode, which we want to do a full expansion draft preview episode. Mm-hmm. But if we if we can find a team that is on the verge of contending or is contending – has a little bit of cap space, and that Kane fits in well with. I think you could see a trade of, of picks and prospects. Kane going there, adding to the Sabres pool of picks and prospects, and giving them more ammunition to go out and poach one of these defensemen from a team that is in a bad position for the expansion draft. But that's a lot of dominoes to fall in a pretty short period of time, and I don't know if you could see a move with kind of two steps like that happen. But I feel like that's the most plausible thing. If we're trying to turn Evander Kane into a defenseman, that would be the best way to make it work. Do you know of any teams that would fit that, that would have some cap space to work with where Kane could be a fit and that could protect him in the expansion draft? That's also a very important criteria, a team that's not already making very difficult decisions with the expansion draft. Yeah, the the problem with it is is that this whole expansion draft is really shape, uh, shaking up the whole league. It, it doesn't just affect, you know, teams smallly. It's going to affect the whole entire league in a, in a wide range with uh, salary. Uh, everyone's trying to gain something on this, and uh, and some te- players are just trying not to lose. You know, teams aren't trying not to lose uh, from the expansion draft. We are very uh, fortunate that the Sabres are in a situation right now that you really can't hurt us with the expansion. We're just looking to get better from it. Um, so it, it, it's hard to it's hard to say where Kane is gonna it, who who would be in on Kane and uh, who would want him and who would have the room for him. But I'd have to think that you know he scored th- you know thirty goals last year, if not just underneath. Yeah, he had thirty. He had thirty goals. I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. It, and he, uh, 
he uh, he had a hell of a season, and he's 25 years old. Uh, th- this is a a power, a strong power forward that can go out and do a lot of things for you. He can play. He can play uh, on the left wing with anyone, and you know, you put him on Anze Kop- Kopitar's left side or anyone, any elite centerman's left side. He's going to score 30 to 40 goals a year. I mean that there's a I mean there's a lot of good stock in Vander Kane. It's you know he, the, the off the ice stuff. He's kind of is, it will kind of will always come in, but he's uh, he had a, a better season after everything happened last year, and uh, he's going to be a star in the league for a while. And he, th- th- this is the kind of player that other players in the league hate to play against. He's a big, strong, cocky guy that can shoot the puck. Someone, there's going to be a team out there that's going to want him. I'm every if they if if they could make it work, every team in the league would want him. You know, if if they had the cap space and uh, you know, it's it's a good team, it's a good player. But this is an employer that we can't that we're I don't think we're going to want to keep because of you know does he fit in with a, a system? Does he? Does he? How how much is he going to want to get paid? Is he going to want to be paid as much as O'Reilly at seven point five? We can't do that with Jack and uh, Sam's contracts coming up. And I mean, there's a there's a whole lot to go on with it. But they it seems evident that they want to move him. I hope they don't get too desperate and give him up for pennies, though. Definitely, yeah. It would not be a horrible position to be going into the season with with Kane still on the team, and they're going to have yeah. the room. They're going to have the room to have him on the team this year but I feel like I'm with you I want them to make a decision one way or another you know is this going to be a guy that you figure out how to pay him get him locked up and he's now part of the core and you've got to skimp elsewhere especially I think what I've said in the past is if you do decide to pay Kane and you want to have all this money locked in up front you're not going to be paying a goalie you're going to have to be cycling in cheap younger goalies that's just a decision that that you'd be making by locking up Kane. And I'm not saying it's the it's the right or wrong decision, but I think you would have to do that in order to, to have any hope of, of affording Kane and having an NHL-caliber defense at the same time. Um, but I think it is more likely that he's traded, whether it's in the offseason or at the trade deadline. And a couple teams I, f- I found that I think could make sense. San Jose... They have about $15 million in cap space going into the offseason, primarily because of Marlowe and Thornton yeah. being unrestricted free agents. And it's unknown whether those guys are going to be back. I have not been following what's happening with them. But if they decide to move on, people have connected Thornton maybe being a fit in Toronto Thornton for wants a one-year a, deal. Thornton wants but, a three-year deal is what I, what I read. Which, good luck. I like yeah. the guy a lot, but <laughs> good luck yeah. finding a three-year deal. Maybe somebody will give him two years. But um, now with the 35 and over rules, too, where you're you're on the hook for those contracts, mm-hmm. even if a guy retires, um, I don't think anybody's giving him a three-year three year deal. Yeah, I'd be surprised I, if I, he gets more than one. Yeah, that's and that's and that's what that's what uh someone that was close to the San Jose. I heard from the, someone that's close to the San Jose uh, r- wrote that, and uh, I I don't think anyone wants to sign him for a three year deal. He's a hell of a player, you know, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, but uh, no. <laughs> yeah, at that point, yeah, once you get a major injury, 
even if he doesn't decide to retire, even if he says, I know I'm playing three more years, mm-hmm. at that age you're much more susceptible to long-term injuries or career-ending injuries, and San Jose is still on the hook for that contract, even if even if that happens, even if he does retire. So um, if they decide not to bring those guys back, they have some cap space there. That's still a team that will be looking to make a run next year, still has a lot of their core pieces in place. Kane could be a nice fit there, and I think that they would be able to fit him in under the expansion draft without – you know, really losing anybody that they care that much about. So they have, I don't know, they'll definitely be protecting Burns, Martin, and Vlasic on the back end. Maybe they'll be protecting another defenseman. Yeah, probably Mirko Mueller. I, we probably shouldn't be talking about this too much before our preview next week, and you can tell I haven't We're, done a ton of research, haven't looked at it too deeply. But I did, um, I did see that uh, someone uh, put up a trade idea. For uh, Kane, Kane and our 2017 first pick, which is uh, you're overpaying for this player, but he's a solid defensive player, uh, is uh, Pickles Vlasic. Uh, you know, has one year left on his contract too, and he'll hit unrestricted free agency. But you're overpaying a heck of a lot at that point, too. Uh, yeah. But you're you're gonna have to overpay to bring these guys in, no matter what deal we make. With Kane, we're overpaying. We will overpay no matter what. And that's just the fact of it. When I think if he's going to San Jose, I don't think a defenseman is coming back in return. Um, unless you're looking at maybe like a Justin Braun or Brendan Dillon or somebody like that. But I don't think those are the defensemen that Sabres fans necessarily have in mind when I'm talking about trading Evander Kane. Um, but I think mm-hmm. you could look at you could look at maybe getting picks or prospects in return for Kane to go there. That's a piece they could look at. Like, this is a guy that we look at as a core guy. We'll have the space to lock him up long-term after the year. Um, I know they'll have to give Vlasic a raise, too. But they don't have too many huge deals coming up after 2018 besides Vlasic. So maybe Kane could make sense to San Jose. It's one quickly researching I found that could fit that, that criteria that I talked about. Another could be Montreal. And it depends on on what really what direction that team wants to go in. And I don't know if Radulov is going to be back. And also you're talking about trading within the division too, which has another wrinkle to it. But Kane could be a really nice fit on that team. Some more scoring punch on the wing, which I think they desperately need. You're going to put Andrew Shaw and Evander Kane on the same team. And you're going to send Evander Kane to the team that traded – P.K. Subban because they didn't like his locker room stuff and how he handled himself <laughs> in the media. I don't think I don't personally. I don't see it. I don't mean to jump on you right there, but he would be nice there. But I just, you know, you're trading. I agree that I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. But if we're looking at who fits that criteria, team that thinks it can contend. Okay. They do love X Sabers too, um, a team that thinks they can contend, and that has a little bit of cap space to work with. And that could use a player with Kane's skill set. I think Montreal hits all those things. But I think, yes, being it within the division, the recent decision to trade Subban away because of off-ice stuff and trading him for Weber, I don't think it's a, it's a fantastic fit. I do agree with you. But one of the few I see that could make sense for, uh, for Kane in terms of like a talent fit. Yeah, okay. Uh, 
any one, any uh, are, just, are those the only two that come to mind right now, Mark? Or yeah, those are the only two I can find that I think you could make a a strong case for. Um, I think most of the other contending teams are either up against the cap or already have a lot of money tied up up front. Uh, so I don't see any other ones really making making a whole lot of sense. But maybe we'll do a little more research on it and we can come back with some ideas. I It's been very difficult for me to find, though, any trade that makes sense with Kane for a defenseman. Because yeah. we talked about before the show, you know, you'd mentioned um, Justin Falk from Carolina. And I think that if the Sabres were to make a play for him, which I, I, I don't ever see that happening... I don't think Kane would be one of the pieces going to Carolina. It would be Nylander the first. Yeah, Reinhardt probably would be the centerpiece that they'd be looking for. Um, it'd be yeah. more of those types of pieces than than uh, than Kane. I think a lot of the other possible defensemen out there, like we mentioned Anaheim too, if if they're trading Vatnin, it's for younger and expansion draft exempt assets in return, not for Evander Kane coming back. So. Um, that's where I sit right now. Do you have anything else really on that on that topic? We've probably beat it to death by now. <laughs> no, it's just it, it's uh, it's 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 just interesting to see what we could uh, what we what we have to work with here, and uh, it's uh, it's it's it's. I think I think that me and you are making it sound a little harder than what it could really be, too. I think. Uh, you know, I'm not. You know, like I said, you're gonna have to overpay, but I think there's gonna be uh, a a move that's gonna work. And you know, I'm not counting out that LA doesn't find a way to clear some cap space, aka Dustin Brown, and uh, th- there could be a total move there. I think there's you know there's a lot to happen still, but you know, with this expansion draft coming going down soon. There's going to be a lot of stuff moving around, and it's going to all start right after the cup's done. So it should be it should be really really interesting. Definitely, and maybe the best move is to wait to do something with Kane until after the expansion draft. You know, the Sabers can protect him. You mm-hmm. get past the expansion draft, and now what I talked about being one of those criteria that you're looking for a team that can protect him easily now all of a sudden that that criteria is gone because you've protected him you know you're not leaving any forwards exposed even with protecting Kane if you're doing seven three and one you're not leaving any forward exposed that you're going to worry about losing to Vegas you know we'd welcome Tyler Ennis or Matt Molson or Nick Delorier being taken by Vegas and probably the most valuable piece right now that's being left exposed by the Sabres is Allmark so like you had said yeah the Sabres are in a great position so you might as well protect Kane. Maybe you can make a separate move for a defenseman prior to the expansion draft, and then you can look to move Kane after the fact if there's a move out there. Now all of a sudden, every contending team with some cap space is in play. Yeah, and uh, I, if um, you know, you brought up you brought up what we we're talking about with Falk earlier. Uh, I would love to see the Sabres make a move of Carolina. I don't want it to cost Sam Reinhart, but. You know, there's a there's a lot of top end young defensemen in Ca- Carolina that, you know, I I I'm just licking licking my chops thinking about ke- bringing them in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that team does make sense with the Sabers 
as uh, as trade partners. But I think especially with Evander Kane looking like he's on the block, I really don't want Reinhardt to be dangled out there. Um, I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be moved. So I think your your major pieces are probably that eighth pick and Nylander. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what defenseman. I don't think Falk or Hannafin are available from uh, from Carolina for that package. But maybe one of their other guys. Mm-hmm. But then you're also not looking at a guy coming in and immediately stepping in on the top pairing either. So a lot of tough decisions to be made. Like you said, you're going to be paying a, a good price regardless of who you bring in. You're not going to be getting somebody at a huge discount here, and defensemen are valuable. So. The sign of a of a fair deal is that it hurts both sides a little bit. So I think we're going to be hurt by whatever deal is made here, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes down. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you make of um, Bob McKenzie saying that uh, Leonard could be uh, on the trade block too? I uh, something you know everyone jumps right to Kane, but he also mentioned don't be surprised if Leonard gets moved as well. He's a restricted free agent, coming off of a very good season, uh, in my opinion. He's 25 or 26 right now, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he he looks like a, a a number one goalie in my eyes right now. After the season he had last year, a front of with a depleted defense in front of him. Uh, what do you what do you have to think about uh, McKenzie's tweet about uh, Leonard? Well, I think you and I were out in front of McKenzie on this one because we we talked about this pretty extensively where I think Botterill's going to come in and and see the season that Leonard had last year, and he very well may like him a lot. But mm-hmm. I think at the same time, you can like Leonard a lot, and this is the position I'm in, you can like Leonard a lot but not want to commit to him long term, not want to commit to him more than two years maybe. And maybe the Leonard camp is is sitting there thinking – after that season I had, I've proven I'm a number one goaltender. I want this team to commit to me long term. And if they're if they're far apart on that, you can battle him. Leonard doesn't have a ton of leverage. He'd probably be coming back on his qualifying offer if you're not, or on a two year deal or something, just because that's the only choice that he would have as a restricted free agent. Just offer sheets are, are rarely used. Or Bottero could go out and say, "Well, I don't want things to be contentious here." I don't believe yet that this is my long-term goalie. I can trade him and maybe have Allmark back up, whether it's Anders Nielsen or some other stopgap-type goalie in free agency, and go from there. Now, that's that's coming from somebody that, that likes Leonard, but I'm just very, very loath to commit long-term to a goaltender. What's really your position on, on this? Well, my position is... Uh it de- it really depends. I mean, you look at uh, let's just use Nashville as an example, and you know everyone's talking about Pecorina, uh, right now, and you know his terrible showing in Pittsburgh. Really, these last this whole series, he's he's never won a game in Pittsburgh, but he's been a very good tournament goalie in this in this uh, this playoffs, and he's been well. And you know the Nashville's living and dying with Pe- Pecorina right now. Really, it's it's it, the game's on his shoulders, in my opinion. Um, Leonard, you, you know, I, can can he be that kind of guy that you know you live and die by him? And I think he's pretty good. I you know goalies don't usually 
starting to enter their prime till they're about 27, 28 years old. And Leonard is uh, ahead of the curve. He's a big guy. He's intense. He likes, he, he you know, he's he likes, uh, he likes, uh, he loves the sport of hockey. But it comes back to as well as is is he good in the locker room? You know, you you, you heard him say last year after. You know, the coach gives us a game plan, and we don't go out there and do it. And, you know, we're just going to try to deke. And, uh, you know, that game after Jack lost the puck, trying to deke from the net, and he got scored on, and he was pretty upset. Jack, I mean, we're talking Jack Eichel is, you know, potentially our next captain. Uh, we don't even have to get into that conversation right now, but does Leonard fit with the mold that Botterill wants to make. And I think that's where it comes down to. It's He can be as good as he wants, but if he's not the guy I want in the locker room, if he's not going to blend well with this team, I don't want him, maybe. Well, I think an that, even bigger thing, too, you because you, you compared Leonard and Rene there, and I think there there is a pretty good comparison there. Both big guys, and Rene's MO throughout his career has been that he's up and down. Right. That yeah. he's had he's had playoff showings like this in the past where he's incredible one game, has a stinker the next, and he's had a lot of stinkers in the playoffs. And I think Leonard kind of has been that type of guy throughout his career. We saw a lot more up than down last year. We didn't really see an extended down stretch from him last year, but throughout his career, he's had some incredible streaks where it looks like you can't score on him, and some streaks where he's really struggled. So I think. There is a lot of comparison there, and do you want to pay a guy like that that's up and down that much money? And I don't think that Robin Leonard would be commanding $7 million a year or anything like Rene is now, but I think eventually you would get there with Leonard where you've got to decide, am I going to pay this guy huge money, assuming he continues to put up number one type numbers because some team will be willing to pay him pretty big money because he is a talented guy and has a lot of the, the attributes that you want in a goaltender. And I don't know if I want the Sabres to be that team locking up that much money. I don't want a team that has to rely that much on on which version of this goalie is going to show up for me and have $7 million tied up in that guy. So I think that's where I am right now, and I think Nashville maybe would prefer to have a steadier, maybe a guy that doesn't get as hot as Rene, but have a few more million dollars to spend on their defense or on their forwards or elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But you know, Nashville is also—they got some good contracts. I mean, I, I think we brought it up. I brought it up, you know, a couple of podcasts ago that Roman Yossi has the nicest contract in the NHL—four million on the dot a year. One of the best defensemen oh, yeah. in the league, you know. Uh, so I mean, and Fenton is the guy that uh, structured those contracts, and he's their money guy, and. I think they can make it work. I think I like I like uh, Rene and I like Leonard, and I wouldn't. I, I'd be more at a bridge deal, you know, two to three year deal with them, but uh, and see how it goes from there. But at that point, you know, we're gonna have contracts tied other places. But if we can get rid of uh, some, you know, a Zach Bogosian contract or a Matt Molson contract. We, uh, I think we'd be looking pretty good in cap to bring in and sign uh, Leonard to uh, a deal. 
I, I, I would after seeing what he did last year. It impressed me enough. But I don't want to commit long-term right away at the same time. And the issue you have there, too, though, is how many more years of, of team control does he have? I believe he only has two more years of team control. So if you do a two-year deal with him, I believe he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of that deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Which makes it a – that's a tough choice. It's not a bridge deal at that point. It's, you know, you very well may lose this guy after those two years. And Leonard may be very much in favor of that contract because then he can go and get fully paid on the open market after two years. But usually when you say bridge deal, you're thinking more the guy is still a restricted free agent at the end of that contract. Like kind of what he already had was – a bridge deal this this current contract that he was on yeah well that's a, it's an interesting case but you know as soon as we start talking about this i want to jump into jack eichel and i don't know if we should go there right now <laughs> well eichel's a different beast because i mean well, he is, this was leonard's sixth year in the nhl i believe yeah but um, four, like or four. sixth sixth professional season not in the nhl but sixth professional season and you know we're going into eichel's third so the Sabres still have four four, four, four years, years of team control year. after yeah. this upcoming season yeah but the, so but they wanted to sign, but they were you know Murray at least was talking about how they wanted to sign him to a deal you know July 1st July 2nd I don't know what Botterill's MO is but you know what do you want to give Eichel you want to give him a, a three-year deal so you still have his rights when his contract comes up, or do you want to give him a a six year deal? You know, uh, today uh, I'm sure you saw Philadelphia signed Gossesphere for a six year deal for four point two uh, annually a year. It's a pretty good favorable deal, in my opinion, for a young defenseman who did struggle last year. Well, I think what to expect. Yeah, and I agree. I agree that I like that deal for Philly. A little bit of risk there because his play was down a little bit last year, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the reward far outweighs the, the risk. And even if he is just a, an offense first type of number four defenseman, that's still a fine rate of pay to, to to pay a guy. And there is more upside there than just that type of player. But I think with Eichel, those types of guys, the precedent has been you you sign him to eight year deals. You sign him to you sign him to long term contracts. The, yeah. the second you can. So I think that's going to be what the Sabres are going to be trying to do with Eichel. They're not going to be trying to fool around with bridge deals. You're going to get your stud locked up long-term if you can. Now, maybe Eichel doesn't want to do that. I, you know, I'd be a little, little bit surprised. I think he wants to be the guy somewhere, and I think that he's going to be the guy in Buffalo. I'm not worried about, about him leaving or anything like that. Uh, but I think that's more what you're looking at with Eichel. And that's not a type of guy that you go into trying to trying to screw around with bridge deals or anything like that. Now, yeah. Reinhardt, maybe you could have a slightly different conversation. I think that's the one that's a little more interesting, and it completely depends on what he does this year. But maybe maybe Reinhardt's a guy you more look at that that bridge deal with. Even then, I would I would expect them to go long term with him. Yeah, uh, it, it should be interesting, uh, Ralph. There's like women screaming outside of my window right now, and it's upsetting my dog. <laughs> um, um, we uh, 
yeah, Reinhardt's contract will be interesting. I think that's the kind he, you know, we'll see how it goes in the future, but uh, that might be a guy that we try to keep his rights into his his third contract, and I could totally see it playing out that way. I'm not, but who knows? Who knows what 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 we're gonna see down the road from him too. I, I expect good things, but you never know. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I've uh, kind of lost my train of thought. No, it's all good. Um, that's pretty much, I think, with Reinhardt, it's it's going to be a wait-and-see type of thing. I don't expect it to be this offseason where he signs a new contract. Eichel, on the other hand, I think that's a guy that as soon as you're able, you go and you try to get him locked up for as long as you can, pretty much. I mean, within, within reason, but I think they'll be going out with a with an eight year type of contract, kind of like as soon as they John, can, like a John Tavares uh, second contract. I I don't have the his his deals up next year, and uh, it was pretty big. It was I think he was making about uh, about nine to ten million for like eight years or something, like six years or something. I think was his contract. I think that's something yeah. that maybe we could expect with uh, Eichel. Yeah, that's been the the precedent that's been there, and I can't really think of any stud type of high draft pick like that that hasn't gotten that type of second contract. You know, some have yeah. maybe been a little bit longer than others, but the the Crosbys and the and the the Malkins of the world they don't sign bridge deals. Yeah, what was Stamkos? I know when his contract came up, he did he was his deal like a. It was a little. It wasn't quite an eight-year deal or a six-year deal. I think it was like four or five. Let's uh, see. We can get the exact numbers there. Um. Sorry for the delay, everybody. Want to get the right, right numbers? Yeah, it was a five-year deal. His second contract. Okay. So. It was fantastic for Stamkos because it enabled him to become a free agent very early, but not a great contract from the team perspective. Yeah. Because it enabled him to basically become an, become an unrestricted free agent as early as he could. But, he, uh, but you know, it all ended up working out for him, even though he hasn't played in quite some time. Uh, they got him on that hometown, hometown discount when they were talking about the Sabres paying him $12 million a year. Yep, yep. Yeah, it so, ended up working out well for them, and you know maybe there was a little bit of quid pro quo there too, where Stamkos remembered them signing him to a deal that was pretty friendly from his perspective, that enabled him to get unrestricted free agency. I believe they bought out one year of unrestricted free agency with that, um, okay. with that contract. But typically, you see those deals buying up, you know, two, three, four years of of unrestricted free agent years. So maybe that's part of why he was willing to to sacrifice some dollars because basically Tampa enabled him to get to unrestricted free agency sooner than almost any other player that's been in that type of position. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think uh, typically the precedent has been the longer is better for those really elite players. Yeah. So um, I got a question. Uh, Sabres related, but it's a little off topic. But uh, 
What do you think, you know, there's a uh, lot of stuff going around on the internet nowadays with uh, Adidas is going to be the new uh, jersey uh, sponsor for the, the, the NHL next year, and they're talking the Sabres are going to be tweaking up their uniforms. Do you, do you see them going back to Royal Blue, Mark? I know that's the question in everyone's mind. That looks like the way it's it's pointing, and thank you for bringing that up. I knew we were forgetting about something important that we had to talk about, and yeah, this is definitely definitely a big topic. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks totally. like that's the way that things are going. I, I like the current uniforms quite a bit. I think they're among the best in the league, but I think the royal blue would be an improvement. I think getting rid of the the gray underneath the armpits would be an improvement. I think there are mm-hmm. some definite tweaks to be made there that could make it that could make them the best uniforms in the league potentially yeah what do you think i i i love i love if i would love it if they went to the royal blue i hope they're not just going to the royal blue for the winter classic next up winter but uh I, I would like to see royal blue in uh every home game and i think the uh, away jerseys would look just as sweet too i uh royal blue and gold is uh how this team this team started, and I think uh, it's how it should be now. Uh, I think they'd I think it'd be very smart for the Buffalo Sabers to make that move too, because I think a lot of people would be buying those jerseys. Oh yeah, yeah. I've said I don't want to buy another one until they actually make the playoffs. But I think getting an O'Reilly Royal Blue jersey would be pretty would be pretty enticing. And then, yeah, the Winter Classic, too. We, we haven't talked about that on the podcast yet, but the Sabres playing in the Winter Classic at City Field next year, even though Sabres will be the home team officially for that game. But that's big news, too, and we'll see uniforms coming out for that. And I've liked a lot of what the Winter Classic uniforms have been for other teams, so I'm excited to see what the Sabres come up with. Yeah, um, I saw someone put a design out for the Winter Classic which was with the Royal Blue, and it kind of looked like the had the same logo as the 40th anniversary jerseys that came out uh, a few years back, about seven years back. And uh, yeah. I, I I think that would be a pretty uh, swell look. I'm, I'm interested to it because, you know, all those all those uh, Winter Classic jerseys, like you said, do come out awesome for the most part. Yeah, like I liked, um, I liked Detroit's quite a bit. The ones that Montreal had were cool. Um, Chicago's was nice. Toronto's like were pretty cool. Yeah, Chicago's were cool. What about uh, what about uh, Colorado's uh, uh, state flag uh, emblem there that you see all over the place? Those ones were were pretty good. Yeah, they were. They weren't they among. Were, they weren't among the yeah. best, but no, but yeah, I didn't mind those. Uh, so yeah, I think I, there, there's a lot of potential there. Sabres have had so many different uniforms and so many different things you can mix and match. So many different logos. Um, that there's a there's a lot of possibility there. So that'll be cool to to watch for. And I'm wondering if I want to see what tickets end up looking like, but that'd be something pretty cool to go to. Yeah, I uh, I pretty much ruled this one out. New York City. It's the day after. Uh, New Year's Eve. It's so it's the first day of the year, and uh, New York City and all those people and the current times we live in. It's just not for me. Couldn't do it. I'll stay yeah. home and watch it. Yeah, and it's pretty nice to watch it at home on mm-hmm. your on your couch. I do have some pretty close friends that live out in that area, though, and uh, it would give me an opportunity. I'd, I'd be able to get a free place to stay. I'm sure. That makes, and I'm that gonna makes be, everything easier. 
Yep. And I'm going to be back in the area probably for the week prior to that and the week after. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. be like I've got to fly out there necessarily and have to try to get all the way back out to, to North Dakota. It would be right in the middle of, of when we're going to be in the area. So it all depends on what the tickets look like. But it could be a nice part of a trip to get out there and, and see uh, see that and visit some friends at the same time. So we'll see. I'd say the chances of it happening are probably pretty low. But I'm not, I'm not ruling us out yet. Okay. Yeah, we... Uh a friend of mine said, like, hey, let's get tickets. And I'm like, I I just can't do New York City on New Year's Eve. I, I, I'd, yeah. <laughs> not, not me, man. I'd want to get out there a couple days before. I would not be want to, I would not want to be trying to drive out there um, on, on the 31st. And I have no interest in going into the city for, uh, for New Year's at all. Yeah. I feel like it'd be yeah. brutal. It's never Ugh. appealed to me at all. No, nope. Um, Too many people. I don't really like being around people. Uh, <laughs> but thankfully, you know, City Field. It's not like you're. It's not like you're in Manhattan or anything like that with, uh, yeah. with City Field. It's very true. I uh, I actually thought about going out to a Dead and Company show, which is uh, was it at City Field and. That's uh, like the Grateful Dead, you know, Bob Weir, Bill Crutzman, and Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead with John Mayer uh, on lead guitar and uh, Jeff Schemette and Otel, uh, Otil uh, Burbridge from the Allman Brothers Band uh, out there. One of my favorite bands to go see that are, is currently touring. Uh, big money, but it's uh, New York City, my... my my uh, my girlfriend's uh, mother lives in New Jersey, so it'd be like a forty-five minute drive, and we'd have a place to stay. But it's just it's it's tough, man. It's tough for me. Yeah, the just just New York City itself throws so many wrinkles in any plans. That's why I could not imagine living there. And so many people I went to school with live out there, you know. I guess a decent number of people from our area do, but really more, you know, if if you're from central New York and east, it's pretty likely you end up in New York City or the surrounding area once you want to move to a, to a bigger city or whatever. And uh, just never appealed to me whatsoever because you've always got to worry about the traffic and there's always so many people everywhere. I always feel really crowded every time I'm there. Germs, man germs <laughs> um yeah but it's uh it should be really excited to uh to uh see what the the tweaks are i i i know for sure they have to get rid of the gray underneath the arms for the jerseys they they i think that that will be that the first fix but uh if it goes to royal blue i might be buying a home man away jersey i might just drop all that money Give me a <laughs> Michael and O'Reilly, or O'Reilly and Ristolainen. I don't know, or you know, I might even just get the custom one. It says Ep with uh, number sixty nine on the back. <laughs> That's very classy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's better than like four twenty, right? You are a classy guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that would be very enticing. Though I wonder how how well China's gonna do. 
ripping them off too. That's always exciting to see the the constant arms race between the Chinese counterfeiters and the <laughs> and the actual leagues themselves. You're gonna have to try to find yourself a red uh, sword jersey with uh, Jason Botterell on there since he's coming back. You know he. Oh. I bet you. I bet you. If if there's one out there, it's highly coveted right now. Definitely is. Yeah, and I don't know who would have been buying that when it came out. There are some game worn ones out there. I'm sure that they sold, but you know, maybe, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let other people battle over those. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Not my fight. Um. Anything else that uh, we want to touch on here, Mark? Um. I mean, should we, I think we should probably address the the reports that McPhee maybe would wanna would want Matt Molson. I don't know if you oh, if yes. you saw those reports as yeah. well. Um, I still think it's a pipe dream. I think it's Buffalo media, hopefully, you know, just wishing that Matt Molson is <laughs> going to be gone. But I think it's something that we that we should address, and maybe it's a possibility that Vegas could be a possibility for him with assets attached. I think that's more that's far more likely than them actually claiming him in the expansion draft. Now now let me get this right. Um George McPhee is the godfather to Matt Molson's wife. That is my understanding, yes. Yes, okay. So um he would want to bring in a solid uh veteran player who can play on your uh power play for a couple years. And uh he likes Matt obviously and there's connections maybe maybe he wants to steal him away i i think it like you said i i believe it's a pipe dream uh my scenario of a pipe dream that i really liked the other day was we trade zach bogosian and our second round pick to um to vegas and then we and then we uh we free up some cap space, and uh, we buy that, and then we buy Matt Molson out. That was my thought. I think with Matt Molson, with the money that I, we're saving. From I think I would, I would prefer to wait until next year to buy him out. Just I, I don't see the cap being a a huge issue this year. I see it being a bigger issue 2018, 2019, Once you have the the Eichel and Reinhardt contracts uh-huh. going, and then you could buy Molson out, and it'd also be a lot easier to trade him next year. I think. I think you can make the same case about Bogosian too, unless there is interest there from Vegas. But maybe you can bet on Bogosian having a little bit of a resurgence next year. If you look at next off season, there are only two years left on his deal rather than three years, so maybe he'd be a little bit more valuable around the league and you wouldn't have to attach as big of an asset to him to move him if you wanted to. Uh, so I think I'd be surprised unless there's a sweetheart deal that they do one of these asset plus Molson, Bogosian, NS deals this offseason. Now, of course, we're, I'm probably going to be proven wrong and we have no idea what Botterill's stance is on this because he hasn't been a GM before. Mm-hmm. Uh but I wouldn't be surprised if he has more of a an evaluative approach and, and he sees that really the Armageddon's coming next year. I'm, I'm being dramatic with the word Armageddon, but in terms of, of the cap really becoming an issue, it's really next year. And we can always at that point attach an asset to Zach Bogosian to get rid of him 
or Molson only have one year left on his deal at that point, it's a lot easier to buy him out at that point or to trade him to somebody like Vegas, who you think will still probably be a bottom dweller at that point, and maybe you don't have to attach a second rounder to either of them at that point. Um, But I think that's where I am more on those asset plus bad contract deals right now. I know you've been more bullish on them throughout our podcast. I think that's just an area where we've differed, but that's kind of my my reasoning behind that. Yeah, I I just – I just think that uh, freeing up some cap space is going to be important for this team. And, you know, if if we could – imagine if we uh, if we got rid of Bogosian – if we traded Bogosian away and then we uh, had – we bought Molson out this year or the next. Um, we are freeing up a lot of space with then Josh Georges coming off the, the uh, – our roster – Taking up that four point two million, I believe, or four point one uh, cap hit, and then you know we have the sign of Eichel and uh, Reinhardt, and maybe we have some money for uh, Robin Leonard there. Or wait, maybe we have some money for Evander Kane. I mean, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I mean the possibilities are pretty much you know you could you could go through them all day in your head, or you know you could bring in a guy like. Uh, you know, uh, a free agent to come help help uh, play on Eichel's left side, the the ideal fit that Botterill sees for Eichel, you know. He's been so good, you know, the Penguins have been so good with, and we've talked about it before, with finding guys to play with Crosby. And, you know, you see it this year of Jake Gensel, who has 13 goals in the playoffs, one away from tying the record. And, you know, the year before, it was Sheary. Uh, there's a... I think that that is still a big issue with me and the Sabres. And I think the well, I think the point I'm I'm trying to make is most of those things that you said wouldn't happen till next off season. Yeah. So you can always, I mean, you can always buy Matt Molson out next off season. You can. Eat so I don't think there's a real reason. Warrior. Yeah, and I don't think there's yeah. necessarily a reason to 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 make a decision on that this year. Maybe he retires. Even I mean, you never know. But it's a it's a possibility. So to buy him out now, I think would be far too presumptuous, and I don't think you need to do it right now. And I think the same thing you make the same case about Tyler Ennis, and both of those contracts are structured where their salaries are less than their cap hit next year. And you've seen teams be willing to bring guys like that in just to get them to the to the cap floor because it means we don't have to spend as much money, but it's boosting our our salary cap number. I think you yeah. make the same case with Bogosian. Now, maybe you talked about maybe there's somebody out there this offseason that they really want to bring in that they see as being the perfect fit for Eichel. Then maybe you can make more of a case that they need to free up salary cap space this year. But right now it looks like they're at about $23 million in cap space, and that's with only the, the five defensemen under contract, Ristolainen, and Bogosian, Georges, McCabe, Falk, so we know they're going to be spending more money on the back end. That's with Nielsen being a free agent, Leonard as a restricted free agent. So still question marks on the defense and on the back end. But it's with a lot of your forwards under contract. You have Felino, Gergensons, and Larson are all restricted. Gianta is an unrestricted free agent. But are all those pieces going to cost them $23 million to fill? I think it's close. I think probably, probably not, though. 
definitely um, all those probably all those restricted free agents together might cost you ten, 10 to twelve, something in that range, and that's so talking about Leonard, Larson, Gergensons, and Felino. Probably talking about that. And then you still have another ten million dollars to, and that's being conservative. Ten million dollars to bring in a defenseman and maybe another forward or something, or to or to bring back Gianta. Uh, so I don't know how pressing of an issue cap space is this offseason necessarily. So that's why I'm loath to to want to throw away draft picks and other assets to get rid of contracts that I think will be easier and cheaper to deal with next offseason. Would you uh, would you be interested in? Uh a guy, and I was listening to Paul Hamilton speak yesterday, and he said a guy that uh, we've talked about on this podcast a lot, but uh, possibly uh, would you be interested in trading the rights to uh, a player like Zygmunt Gergerson? He's a, uh, you know, he, he's been a player that really succeeded with Ted Nolan, but Ted Nolan was the kind of guy that just kind of sent you out to go play hockey. And he might really be losing a role in a spot where he, this is a very organized team method that Botterill is trying to put together with players of roles. And Gergeson could be known to be, as I guess how Hamilton made it sound, is that Gergeson is not a role player. He's more of a go out there and do it and make it look good player. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. It depends on how much other teams value him. I think probably his value is bigger. Like the upside is bigger to bringing him back on another one-year type of deal because I don't think he's going to get a long-term deal here. But I don't think he's going to get that anywhere unless there's some yeah. GM out there that just absolutely loves him. But I think the upside to bringing him back and hoping he finds it under another coaching staff is larger than whatever they would get back for him. I mean, would you get more than a second-round pick for him or a comparable prospect? No. And then really how valuable is that to this team? Whereas I think he, there is a real possibility under another coaching staff that he could become a valuable middle six guy that can play both center and wing. Maybe, um, that, maybe there's a – showed some flashes. Maybe he's part of a package uh, that bring a defenseman in too. You never know. It's just uh, – you know, it's just his rights, though, at this point. So, and I think it, it's, it's hard to. T- I think I mean, I mean, saying his saying his rights. I mean, he's he's a restricted free agent. I think whatever team has him, he's going to to be playing there probably on a one year deal, not that far off from his qualifying offer this year. Yeah. Probably in that mid, you know, maybe one point five million dollars to two million dollar type of range. I think is probably what he's looking at this year. Um, but I don't know if he moves the needle that much in a trade for a defenseman either. So I'm not a huge, you know, Gurgensons fanboy or anything, but I think if you're looking at which which side of that deal offers more upside, it's probably holding on to him at this point. Now, the more interesting discussion, I think, is Marcus Felino because I think he okay. had the, the best season of his career so far. It looks like yep. he will be more expensive. A lot more teams – maybe do see him fitting it, sliding in perfectly on their third line or something, and that he's still pretty young. Maybe there's some upside there. Maybe he's got more value around the league, and maybe he's somebody that Botterill's not willing to commit long-term to, whereas I think Felino maybe after the season he had would be expecting a two-plus-year deal. So what are your opinions on Felino? Well, I like Felino 
And what I've and what I've been told is that he's a great locker room guy. He's you know he he has a lot of respect in the locker room. He's been in this. He's been with the Sabers his whole career, or Rochester, and he's a uh, he's he's a uh, he works his butt off. I don't you know you don't want to see him in that top two on the top two lines for sure. But uh, it depends on what his price is. If 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 he's at a two to three million dollar hit yeah i love to bring him back i love to have him on the third line but if he's asking for you know four to five which i don't see i you know go find somewhere else to play it that i mean he he brings a little grit he scored what 13 goals last year that's the most he's scored in a season i believe uh he i i uh if you can, if there's a value for him out there, say that Columbus wants him, you know, to have the Felino, the both Felino boys there, which is a scenario people like to do, which I'm not a big fan of necessarily, but uh, if Columbus is really in on that, I'd be I'd be more than interested in moving him. Well, I think he made he so he made two point two five million dollars last year, and I think he would be looking for a decent raise. I think into that three plus million dollar range now the question is whether he gets it or not of course and restricted free agents don't have a ton of leverage but um i don't think i'm i'm willing to pay him in that that three million plus range i think his upside is what he is now i Mm -hmm. i like the guy i think he he can be a piece on a on a contending team a nice bottom six piece but once you start paying a guy three plus million dollars you don't see a lot of the the top teams in the league paying role player type guys like that that kind of money so I think of the three restricted free agents that you have they're really of all the of all the main restricted free agents so if I'm including Leonard Gergensen's Larson and Felino I think Felino is the most likely one to be moved because um, I think you just have question marks with Larson coming back to where it looks like he'll he'll probably be in another one-year deal uh, just like I think Gergensen's will be and then I think Leonard there's not clear competition for him in goal yet, and I think it makes sense for him to be back as well. I know we discussed that a lot earlier. But. My, my my one question is, uh, okay, so I'm not now, – now this is all hypothetical, of course, of what we're talking, but uh, we're looking to move Kane, and you, would, you wouldn't want to pay Felino, but who the heck do you have left on the left-hand side, you know? Uh, you got Ennis. Uh, you know, uh, you have Carrier. Yeah. It, it, this is a, this is a, a, a big, pretty big deal. To uh, our our left hand side is not good on. We well, probably see Gergensen's playing on the left side as well. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe you could see a scenario. I know I've I've pushed this more. If O'Reilly is moved to the wing, if you want to have Eichel and Reinhardt down the middle and O'Reilly on the wing, he'd probably be playing on the left side. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you're if you're trading Felino and Kane, that probably means that you're that you're going to bring in somebody on the left side in free agency as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just. Uh... <laughs> it's a lot to think about. Um, one other thing that we didn't, we haven't talked about is uh, K 
Cal Peterson leaving uh, Notre Dame. Yep, that's one of the one of the tabs I had up to remind me that we should <laughs> we should discuss that before the end of the show. Yeah. But yep, uh, that he's leaving Notre Dame and the Sabres have till still the end of this month, correct? Yeah, less than thirty. They, it was thirty days. It was thirty days when he declared he was leaving. So they have thirty days before he becomes a free agent, uh, and he can talk to whatever team he wants to talk to. Uh, it's uh, not looking good for the Sabres in the Cal Peterson market right now. Uh, there's been ties with uh, with Chicago uh, going and back up Corey Crawford. I personally, I if I was him, I don't know why I wouldn't want to go and play in the AHL and be Rochester's number one goalie right from the get go. Um, but it doesn't seem like he really wants that. What's your opinion on it, Mark? Well, I think he's playing it the way I would. I know a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people on the, the message boards and everything blasting the system and saying that these entitled kids are trying to come and not pay back the teams that have put in money to developing them. But those are the rules. Those are the rules that have that have been put into place. And if I'm thinking about it from my perspective, when I'm coming out of college, if I'm able to have control over who I'm going to work for and what city I'm going to live in, I'm going to take every advantage of that control. So I don't blame Peterson for doing it. And I think that I would be also playing it this way and wait to see what happens in the expansion draft because goaltenders are going to be moving around. Yep. uh, And you can see what the goaltender situations look like after that point. So I think he will go to unrestricted free agency. Maybe he does still end up picking Buffalo. I certainly hope that he does because I'm excited about him. But maybe he sees if... If Olmark is selected by Vegas, maybe all of a sudden Buffalo situation looks a lot more intriguing for him. But yeah. they're also you you had said Chicago too that there there can be some intrigue there, but I think Crawford, you know, he he's probably going to be there, be entrenched there for at least a couple more years. So would that be a fantastic situation for him? Probably not. And a lot of these contending teams have a set player and goal that I think would be very difficult for him to go in and supplant. So Buffalo, I think, still could be a pretty intriguing option for him if it doesn't look like they're committing long-term to Leonard, if Olmark's no longer in the way, and you can see the path to the NHL. I still think Buffalo has a, a very good chance in this in this uh, sweepstakes, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Well, and Peterson has done a lot in Notre Dame too. You know that's uh that college season's about forty games, right? Yeah. Um, so their their season, you know, he put he's played every game for him. He's uh really worked his butt off there. He's proved that he's been a pretty good goalie. But I still, you know, he's still a young kid, and he, he was he twenty two. Uh, I'm just spitballing here, but. 21 um, or 22, yeah. 21, 22, and, you know, he still needs to develop some more. And, I, you know, I think that his best, the best situation for his career in general is, and this is just an outsider looking in, is to go down and play in the AHL and play down there, play a full season down there and get ready just because the NHL is a whole different jump for a goaltender too. So... You know, I, 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 I just, just personally for me, I don't want to see him go and like, all right, I want to go to Chicago and back up Crawford. I don't think that's going to be good for his development. That's all. 
But, uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think with uh, him exploring his options, it's, uh, it's, it's his right. And why wouldn't he want to do that? I think a lot of players are going to go this way. We saw Jimmy Vc do it last year when we traded for his rights. It's, uh, it's if, if you were in that situation, you would want to have all your options available too. So I would never knock a guy for doing it. So there we are. Yep, yeah, and if people want to get mad and they get mad at the rules, maybe the the CBA could close this loophole going forward, but I don't think there should be any venom directed toward Peterson specifically or toward Jimmy Vesey for what he did last year, even though I know a lot of people are still angry about that whole situation. Uh, but I think no matter where he goes, unless he wants to go to a team that's a bottom feeder, a team that doesn't have a great core in place, maybe they'd be willing to promise him considerable action in the NHL this year right away but I think any contending team or team that's looking to contend probably will say you're going to start in the in the AHL I think the Blackhawks even if he's even if he signed there I think they'd be more likely to put him in the AHL and then bring in a a veteran backup for Crawford so yeah I think if he wants a if he wants a starting job right away that's going to be very difficult to find. I don't know if any team would make sense necessarily for that. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head at least. Um, and if he, if there is one, it's going to be a team where he's going to go and get destroyed and face a ton of shots and be a long way off from winning. But I think most teams are going to be making the same pitch to him, that you're going to come in and fight for a spot. They'd probably prefer to have a veteran backup rather than a, a 22-year-old backup. And. Yeah that he'll have every chance to fight for the starting job the following season. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be special, and I just hope that the Sabres can uh, figure a way to keep him. Especially, you know, like you said, we don't really know. Maybe that has something to do with the uh, – Cal Peterson has to do something with, uh, you know, Botterill, Shoppy, and Leonard. And having all Yeah, Yep, and, and that's the connection that's been, that's been made by, by some um, – and we'll see. Yeah, it's it's difficult to know. I'd, I'd be surprised. I think it would be more likely that you would just re-sign Leonard for one year and allow him to take his qualifying offer. Maybe you can offer him more than what his qualifying offer will be. You Maybe a one-year, $4 million deal or something like that. And then you can try to sell to Peterson that, you know, we're only committed to Leonard for this year. This job could be yours next year. Could you imagine... Could you imagine how sweet the minion mask would look with the royal blue jerseys? <laughs> <laughs> that would be sweet. Um, sorry, but yeah, it, 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 it totally could happen. Uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting, uh, and I, you know, I, that's why I think you know so many so many Sabres fans, as ourselves, are really paying attention and sitting on the energy seats because like I said this month of June a lot of stuff's going to be coming out and we're going to be finding a whole lot out about our team that we didn't know was going to happen there's going to be some sort of surprises it's going to be drama man it's going to be like the young and the restless it's going to be crazy (laughs) yeah there are going to be a lot of moves regardless and I do want to say just about before we move on from Peterson here that there are a lot of very high quality goaltending prospects that have not panned out a lot of people that have been just as just as hyped up 
as Peterson and they have not materialized in anything. So mm-hmm. I think goaltender prospects are far more hit or miss than our forward prospects or defensive prospects. And if, the, if he does end up leaving, it's not the end of the world. And uh, obviously I want him to come into the fold. It would be, it would be great to have him in the organization and I, and I'm rooting for him to succeed whether he comes into the organization or doesn't. And I think he's got a better chance of succeeding than not succeeding. But there have been a lot of guys that have been touted as the next great thing. One that comes to mind is Jack Campbell, who is – I think he played in some NHL games this year. But, I mean, you probably remember he was touted as the next big USA goalie. Yeah. And he was on the ECHL for a while, and he's turned into, into basically nothing. So – those guys are just as common as the as the the hot shot goaltender prospects that have actually become stars. So let's yeah. just keep that in perspective. He's not played a professional game yet, and it's hard to know what he'll translate into. Yeah, it, you know, a lot of times it, it comes down to the person and not the player, too. Who's the guy behind the mask? You know, um, and I've heard Botterell say it, and I do believe I've heard Bill's uh, coach. Uh, Doug McDermott say it too. You know, it's uh, we're looking. You mean at, Sean Sean McDermott? Yeah. What did I What did I say? Doug Doug McDermott, the uh, the basketball player. <laughs> Doug McDermott's probably said it too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that in so it, these guys, you know, it depends on you know. There's a lot of variables. It's not just black and white. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and uh, goes on behind the scenes. So you, you never know. I was I was curious. Um, I uh, went to see my buddy play some music last night out in Jamestown at Southern Tier Brewery. Great time, by the way. But um, stopped at a bar on the way home in Mayville, New York, and uh, people were there just watching basketball. Are people still watching basketball, Mark? And I know the Cavaliers won last night, but... I don't know. From what I've read, it's gotten it's actually gotten pretty good ratings this year. And what I've been how I've been saying because <laughs> I'm a I'm a pretty big basketball fan. It's it's harder to be into it when the Knicks are bad, which has been far more often than they've been good in uh, you know, in my time as a as a fan. But I think the casual fan loves the idea of these super teams. They love seeing a game or a series like this where they can see seven all stars playing at once and I think the ratings have have borne that out because they've done well I think they're the the highest in recent history I don't know the exact years I was based on a headline I haven't done any sort of extensive research on this or anything but I think it is doing pretty well it's doing well amongst those casual fans now so yeah yeah, where does it rank with you that's what I want to know that's more I want to know are you watching it are you invested in the NBA championship I'm not invested. I did watch yesterday's game. Um, it was you pretty good, which is how much how much scoring there was. Yeah, because it would have been history if yeah. if the Warriors had won. I could understand and, that. Uh, those teams are fun to watch. I wouldn't say the Warriors are super likable or anything. I've I have liked Durant throughout his career, but I don't yeah. like Draymond so, Green. I'm not really a big not really a big uh, Curry fan. Um. But I would say the the Stanley Cup playoffs have always been a step above the NBA playoffs for me, and especially oh, yeah. 
recently as the gap between the the good teams and the bad teams or the I should say the very very good teams the great teams and everybody else has, has become farther and farther because everybody pretty much knew it was going to be the Cavaliers and Warriors again this year yeah since the, it was when, when, when the season else started win. basketball yep is professional basketball has grown so terrible to me and I used to I never was a huge fan I was more of a casual fan but I am not even a fan anymore it's just it's it's horrendous to watch it's 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 terrible for me it's terrible I don't like it but I also did get beat by your sister in every single one-on-one basketball game I've ever played against <laughs> but for the viewers that don't know Mark's sister Aiden she's a beast so <laughs> just remember she did that. play college basketball too we'll give and I but, and I obviously taught her a lot of what she knows and I, yeah yeah obviously because because she knew how to stay away from my dirty stuff underneath the hoop uh, <laughs> but, uh, but but I'm uh, like you. I I value parity too, and I like seeing there be a lot of teams that have a chance. One of the great things about the Stanley Cup playoffs, and maybe we're biased toward parity as hockey fans because we're more mm-hmm. used to it. But I think for the casual fan, they like seeing super teams, and you see a lot of people that are rooting for the Patriots somehow. You know, my instinct is always to root for the underdogs, but that they're rooting for the Patriots to get another championship this year and it continued to add to the totals a lot of people just like dynasties and they like seeing great teams and you and I both aren't built that way you and I both like parody and not knowing who the champion's going to be or not you know rooting for the favorite much rather see David win than than Goliath but it's like I think most people are not that way it's like going to a concert and someone like tells you the whole set before the concert like I I'm like that kind of person like like uh, I went to a music festival and they did the music of the Grateful Dead Dark Star Orchestra. It's called the Dark Star Jubilee, and they were playing a show on my girlfriend's birthday, which is uh, May twenty eighth. But it was night from the year seventy seven, and seventy seven was a historic year for the Dead. And uh, they did this awesome spring tour, and they redid a show from Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, what's the, what's the set list?" I'm like, I looked up the set list like a month before just because I, I'm like, just checked it out, but I drowned it out of my head. I kind of remembered some of it, but uh, I don't want to know how the show is going to go. I want to, I want to be, I want to be surprised when they, when they, when they uh, like bust in the truck and are some other song that I, you know, love, you know, I go on and on. And that's the same thing with sports. I don't, I don't want to know. I, you know, I'll predict, but I don't, I don't. I don't want to know how it's gonna end. That takes all the fun out of it for me. Like I have to be on the edge of my seat. I need to be surprised. I and basketball is completely different than hockey, obviously. And I can't handle basketball anymore. I'm, I'm swearing it off. I watch college basketball, and I watch that tournament because that's about un, as unpredictable it gets too. But uh, NBA, no, I'm about done with that. Sorry for the rant. No, no, I get it, but I think there are a lot of people too. If we're using the uh, the concert analogy, there are a lot of people that will be like researching the set list heavily, leading right up to the concert, and may even have it with them, have it on their phone or whatever when they go to the concert. Absolutely, they they like you know they like knowing exactly what to expect, and I'm not built that way either. I'm the same way. I might look at 
I might go back and look up the set list after a show, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to be out there researching it before. I'd much rather be surprised and not really know what's coming. And you would set it. Part of the fun is in guessing as to what they're going to play. And you're never, you're never right. You're never fully right. But that's kind of the fun part of it. You hear a song that, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that one in a while. And I wouldn't have thought they would ever play this one. How, how cool is it they're, that they're actually playing this one? But I think a lot of people aren't built that way. And that's why they, they gravitate toward these super teams and toward these very predictable outcomes. You remember um, MB, you remember NFL 2K5 of Terrell Owens on the cover? Yep. And you could draft your own team like before a game when you played your buddy, which I always liked to do when I was a kid. But that's like kind of like how the basketball is. Like, you know, you got Golden State in there is like one of the best teams ever. And then, you know, people are like, oh, LeBron has to do it by himself. Well, LeBron has a pretty good team built around him, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kyrie Irving had 40 points yesterday. Yeah, Kyrie, you got Tristan Thompson, who has been let let people down, kind of, and he had signed a big deal, I guess. I, I only know this from talking to people. And, you know, you, you got guys like Kyle Korver that can come in and shoot three-pointers. And, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a pretty well-built team. I think that's built better than any of the, you know, the the Kobe, Gasol, Derek Fisher, Metal World Peace teams. I think both those teams' are, rosters are way more uh, star-studded than that. those teams were that Kobe played on, which was a good team in that generation. But it's just different now. Yeah, yeah, and I think a big part of it is, if we want to compare it further to hockey, is the way that the, the salary cap structure is set up. Mm-hmm. And they have a salary cap, but there are all these ways to exceed it. And you can do sign-in trades, and you have guys' bird uh, bird rights, so you can exceed the cap to re-sign your own guys if you have their bird rights. And I like the NHL system a lot more. I complain about the way the NHL does a lot of things, but I do like the hard cap and uh, that no team can – can spend above this amount and what i'd like to see is a hard cap in the nba and it can be a pretty high it could be a pretty high threshold you know it could be 100 million or or more um, but also no maximum contracts so like if a team if the sacramento kings want to go out and offer lebron james 60 million dollars a year to go to go play there they can you know maybe he'll be surrounded by nobodies but isn't that decision a lot harder to make to go play for the the Cavaliers for twenty million or twenty five million or whatever, and you've got to pass up sixty playing yeah. elsewhere. I I think the incentive to to create super teams or the disincentive to create super teams would be a lot stronger in that system than it is today. Because really today, you've got a max on on what you can earn, and you know maybe your Durant passed up maybe making I don't know what he would have made with the Thunder if he had resigned there. You know, maybe thirty million dollars a year or whatever, and he decided to go to the Warriors and make twenty, like in the low twenties or something. Everyone, everyone wants a. Everyone wants a. Ring, I don't know what know? the exact numbers are, but it's a lot easier to pass up eight million dollars to go make it happen than it is to pass up yeah. forty to go yeah. make it happen. I think, you know I what I'm saying, Mark? I think uh, so, whoever that the NBA guy is needs to get you going because uh, bring you the. The Players Association would hate it, I think, because they're there to protect, and this is kind of an, an issue sometimes with unions in general, but they're there to mm-hmm. protect all their members 
And really the way the NBA is set up now, it means that the average players and the role players, I think, get paid more than they would if there weren't max salaries in effect. Like, you'd have a lot more of that money going to the LeBrons of the world and the Durants of the world and less going to the the Tristan Thompsons of the world and, you know, guys like that. So I think the Players Association wouldn't go for it just because it would be enriching their, their best performers at the expense of uh, their lesser performers. But um, if I had if I had it my way, and I think if the league had it had it their way, that would be the way I would want to go. That's Mark with your uh, NBA take on this generation of basketball. I think if it went your way, I'd be more apt to watch, personally. Me, but I'm not the majority uh, holder that wants to see the all-star game in the championship. Uh <laughs> I think it would be a lot more. It would be a lot more even overall because you'd, you'd kind of have to make the choice between: do I go out and try to try to buy a LeBron for sixty million dollars a year, or do I want to go out and get three, um, you know, Jimmy Butlers or I don't know something something like that, like very good players for twenty million dollars a year? Is that worth more to me than having just LeBron? Um, I think it would be it would be pretty cool to see. I think you'd have a lot more teams in it at the end and you wouldn't have the same super teams you have now well uh thank you for the insight that i i definitely uh definitely gives you a lot to think about with the world of basketball not a world that i uh necessarily live in but uh i know a lot of people it's a very popular sport in america and uh you know i think hockey is tenfold better than uh basketball hockey does have its own problems and we discuss them regularly on this show but we also you know we can also uh say there's a lot more good in hockey than good in basketball but uh to kind of cap things off mark for this episode uh i'm uh i just want to we're going into game six tomorrow with the the cup Going back to Nashville, a very fun environment to be in. I wish that mean you could be down there right now, hanging out, uh, sipping cold ones and talking hockey with people down there. Because I bet you, you know, maybe getting a fight with the Ryan brothers. Who knows? But uh, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely become it's definitely overtaking. Just seeing the seeing the fans. Uh, seeing how, you know, their version of our, you know, like the party in the plaza, their, their party on the strip there, uh, is, looks pretty awesome. Their chants are about as best as I've ever seen in sports with, uh, Murray, Murray, you suck. (laughs) One of the college type. Yeah. College type chants. I love it. I, I mean... It's uh, it's it's definitely uh, grow hockey's grown through this experience, and I, you know, I think Nashville's been a team that's had some serious fans for a while. I'm not taking anything away from, them, but the success is definitely helping them out too, and bringing it to uh, you know, hey, maybe we can make Nashville into a hockey, a whole hockey town. I don't know, but it's been very, uh, I've enjoyed it, and I'm wondering if you think Nashville can get it done in Game Six against uh at home where they've Nashville's been very tough I think so yeah you would um you and I texted back and forth about this a little bit and uh I agreed with with your assessment that I think the home team is going to win every game in this series and 
I know I had said in our conversation back and forth that I don't know if I've ever seen a series where there's been such a stark difference between how these teams have played at home versus playing away, especially Nashville, where mm-hmm. they've looked dominant at home pretty much in in both of those games. And then they've gotten dominated throughout a lot of the portion of the three games they played in Pittsburgh. So I think Nashville will take it. I think that atmosphere is going to be there just like you were talking about. And I think Pittsburgh ultimately will win in uh, in the seventh game. What do you think? I, I yeah, absolutely. You know, if um, it would be quite the story though, right? If Nashville came out one game six, and then Mark on, and then Pekka Rene gets his first victory ever in Pittsburgh on game seven in Pittsburgh, that would be, that's just you know that's like Cinderella highlight highlight reel kind of stuff. It'd be it would, if he just went in there and stole the show. That would be awesome. I, you know, I'm rooting for Nashville. I don't see him getting it done. Uh, in, injury up in the air with Ryan Ellis right now, too. That really is going to screw them over if he's not all right to play. Uh, I haven't heard much about it, but he did not return to the game uh, Thursday night. But there really was no reason for him to at that point as well. Yep. Yep, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. I guess we'll um, we'll find out more tomorrow. You know, I I, I watch the series, Mark, and I just just scream at my I, it, to myself in my head. I I say, where is Ryan Johansson? Johansson, where is he? Because like, if he was here, I think this would make the series even better. I mean, he's a great one of the best two way centers in the league. I'd put him in uh, top five, top six. In two-way centers in the league, I, I he brings a valuable. He's their most valuable player in offense, and you know you have the skill of Philippe Forsberg, which I believe is elite. But uh, you, Ryan Johansson, is the bread and butter of that offense, and they've been getting it done without him. If 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 he was there, I think this is a. I think this series might be over by now. Uh, but. Malkin and Crosby were dominant in that last game five. Real good. And uh, I just hope that we can see. I hope hope we get a game seven. But if Ryan Ellis doesn't come back, I'm starting to question if if they can get it done without him. Well, I agree with you that that missing Johansson is so big. And we talk about all the time how important it is to be strong down the middle. And – You've seen Johansson being out. It's enabled Crosby and Malkin to really do their thing and to be able to take over some of these games. So it's been a huge loss, and Johansson is one of those guys that y- you do build around up front, these these big centermen. That's what you want. That's why it was so important for the Sabres to get Eichel because that's the type of guy that you really need, I think, to, to win a Stanley Cup nowadays. And I know that Eichel's going to be on another level than than Johansson. Really, the 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 dynamism that you have from Eichel is on another level from Johansson. But um, that's that's the way the NHL has trended: having having a top four defense that you can lean on and being strong down the middle. And if you're missing one of those top four defensemen in Ellis and one of your big centers up front, then it's very difficult to see beating a team that's been there and done that like Pittsburgh. So should be a fun one. Looking forward to watching it. 
Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, you know, game seven's always good, you know, and uh, I, you know, but, you know, the sooner it gets, if it, if it does finish in game six, that means we might be that much, a couple days in advance to get our coach. So, there's that too. So, I mean, either way, I'm fine with it, but let's go Preds. Um, it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been a fun uh, playoff round. It, full of surprises as always, and it I wouldn't trade uh, watching any other thing for it. Definitely, yeah. It's uh, it really never disappoints, and uh, despite all the flaws of the NHL, which we talk about all the time, I think despite of of all their <laughs> all the NHL front offices hardest attempts they can't really ruin what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs great and it's these teams battling so hard and kind of who are the who are the last men standing at the end and I think it's always going to be fun regardless of of what the league tries to do and the mistakes that the league makes yeah well uh I was I was pretty upset with Crosby the other night when he threw that uh water bottle on the ice I was like come on man (laughs) He should have thrown it with a little more force, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a hockey player. He's not Tom Brady. He doesn't have to throw. He just got to be tough. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people were going off about the whole um, Crosby-Subban thing behind the net. I watched it, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is like watching it. I'm like, this is like professional wrestling or something, like WWF stuff, like. These guys are behind the net trying to get each other in trouble, basically. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it, it appeared to me after watching again that, you know, Subban had a, a hold of his foot and Crosby was trying to get him off. And, you know, but that's hockey. I mean, you know, I, I think I think the ref made that, the, the, the right call, really. I mean, sent them both to the box and for two minutes, and that's it, you know. You guys are... Uh, you guys want to act like children? You're gonna behave like you're gonna be treated like children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I wasn't as outraged as I saw some people out of the the Nashville people, especially, mm-hmm. and and pretty much everybody's rooting for Nashville too. So I think most people have become by proxy Nashville fans in this series. But I didn't have some huge problem with what Crosby did, and that kind of stuff happens behind the net and. You know, I think you gotta accept it as part of the game, and that it's it's going to happen, and that a lot of things do happen to Crosby. Crosby is targeted a lot of the time, and those penalties aren't necessarily always called, even though. And I'm saying that as one of the biggest Crosby haters out there. So it's gonna happen in the playoffs. I think, like you said, it's hockey. Yep. Yep. And it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know. I was listening to someone and they called in about it. And it's like if if you weren't a ho- if you're not a real hockey fan and you're just watching the finals, you have no idea what the hell's going on there. You know, like why didn't he get a penalty? Well, you know why don't people get penalties when you get the butt end it, it underneath your rib cage? You know, you know that you, you ever been butt ended by someone on the ice before? Uh no, I haven't. Oh jeez. Tournament in Cleveland, down at Garfield Heights. It was, um, I think it was Squirts, A Squirts, 
and uh, I uh, went out for the opening uh, face-off, right? And this little kid, and I looked at him like, man, I, you know, we you weren't checking then, but I'm like, this kid, I'm gonna dominate this kid. I, he can't reach, he can't reach where my, I'm gonna have the puck on my stick. And I said, good luck to him. And he said, all right, good luck. And uh, we get down, and uh, the first time we played this team, we won, and we I had had a pretty good game. He came up and butted me right into the right underneath the rib cage, and I skated right off the rink. <laughs> I skated right to the bench off the the opening draw. That freaking hurt. And it was this is a you know a eleven year old kid doing this to me. Back in the well, day, yeah, those those little guys are they're the masters of stick work. Yeah, freaking slash you in the slash you in the back of the legs and do anything they can. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, I've uh, enjoyed this podcast. I've enjoyed talking to you. I'm sorry for uh, the mishaps with the with uh, via Skype earlier. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, we we make it work somehow. I'm sorry you're gonna have to do some extra cutting today, but uh, I've enjoyed talking. I've enjoyed uh, hearing your stance on the NBA too. That that was very interesting to me. Uh, and I've. You know, looking forward to our next podcast when we hopefully we'll have a new coach and we'll be uh, previewing the expansion draft. Definitely, yeah, that should be a, a very fun one for everybody. We're hoping to do that on Wednesday, so hopefully have it out decently in advance of of when the final lists are going to be out. Uh, but yeah, Josh, always a always a great time talking to you, and I always look forward to doing these podcasts when we can. You know, we haven't had a necessarily enough to talk about in terms of you know, normally we have games to talk about and it makes more sense to do it on a weekly schedule but I think it was nice to be able to wait a couple weeks and just be able to get everything out there all at once in this episode so oh, yeah. had a really good time and especially of last week you know this last week that we just passed I mean so much came out just this last week with uh, you know Kane, Leonard um, you know Vegas up uh, deals getting we're getting closer and potential deals being talked so it's a there's a whole lot to talk about and uh there will be even more to come so thank you uh sabers fans uh thank you mark again like you said i always enjoy this definitely thanks josh and thank you to everybody who made it to the end if they didn't turn it off during our long nba discussion or anything like that but uh really looking forward to our expansion draft episode and I'll finally have enough research to not have to try to on the fly in our show here to <laughs> to come up with who I think a team's going to protect on the spot. And uh, yep, that'll be a that'll be a great episode. Yep. Well, uh, we'll see you guys all out there uh, pretty soon here on the internet. Land. We'll uh, be talking on Wednesday, so hopefully we'll have something out Thursday for you. Uh, have a good one and take care.